so, there's basically two ways of living our lives, as we just said. One is instinctual, conservative, going along with the flow, doing what everybody else does, because everybody else is operating out of instinct also, like out of herding instinct or, or whatnot, uh, that we call our social part of our life. And um, this is actually the source of the suffering that the Buddha had talked about. And that the basic teaching of the Buddha is suffering and no suffering. And that uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa kind of summed that up in a phrase that I asked him about and he turned it around. I used to uh, think and I asked him the question about uh, the phrase, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Oh yeah, I've heard that one. Okay. That is conservative that is instinctual and that uh, uh, it actually comes at a time of instinct when that was the only option but he changed that he turned it around and he says if at first you don't succeed look at what you're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's much smarter it is, isn't it? Yeah. It is much. So if you just smart. do the same thing, you're just going to get the same result again. So you're just going to keep going around. <laughs> right. If you keep trying and trying and trying, you'll probably keep getting the same results over and over again. Uh, and that actually happens in music. If a student is plubbing the same arpeggio or the same chord or the same fingering over and over and over again they keep screwing it up they keep trying it but they're trying it basically at full speed that yeah. the right way to learn it is to slow it down and do the fingering over and over again in various ways to unlearn it and then to learn it correctly very slowly until we get it right yeah well, guess what? That's also the practice of Anapanasati. Avoiding the word meditation, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the way that we look at it. But I want to introduce something new to you today that I think may um, click for you because it has uh, clicked for several students recently. And so I'll start it off like this. At the time when a baby is born and given to the mother, this point in time is when brain chemicals really, really go. And that the brain chemical that they're talking about is actually referred to now as the bonding chemical. And the, uh, uh, it's actually got a, um, a derivative in uh, an opiate, but that the name of this um, actual brain chemical that is a hormone that is naturally secreted by the human being is called oxycodone. And it is, um, let us say, transmittable. 
Okay. I know that's yeah. hard to understand, but it is transmittable. And here's the example that I'll give is, is that when that child is taken into the, uh, to the room for the first bonding with his mommy, all of the women in the maternity ward, they want to go and be there. Because everybody just gushes with tears and good feelings and crying because this is that time when bonding is done. Basically, you could go and extrapolate that to the whole teaching of the Buddha is teaching us how to bond with others, how to bond with ourselves, how to give ourselves really good feelings. Well, after a while, that child is introduced into the modern society that we have. And our modern society has something else going on. And that is you don't work, you don't eat. Up, two, three, four, do what you're told to do, follow the herd. Well, every child is introduced with to that with by the mother. You read your book, you do the ABCs, you go to school, you do one, two, three, you put your toys down, you put that cell phone down and come do your homework. Yes. Okay. And so this is basically then a major change in the child's life. And it has been said by philosophers that basically, uh, especially in advanced adulthood, we want to return to that and have the second childhood. We want to go back to that time that's really nurturing, where everything is okay. Everything is a game and a toy, and nothing is disastrous. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay. And so we are actually um, a good way of saying it is, is that um, our lifestyle, the way that we were raised and the way that our society expects children to be raised puts us in the position of we have to start ordering ourselves around. We take on all of these rules that are handed down from our teachers and our grandparents and our parents and whatnot. We store those things away and then on regular basis, we drag that stuff out to beat ourselves up with. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All of our old ways of doing things makes us miserable. So basically what we could say is the actual practice of Anapanasati is this. You have spent much of your life uh, talking yourself into feeling bad. Now it's time for you to practice over and over again, talking yourself into feeling really good. Mm -hmm. To nurture yourself. Now the Buddha calls this part gladdening the mind or brightening the mind of never mind all of the bad news and the bad stories that we have to tell ourselves, all the work assignments, all the to-do list, 
and everything that we're supposed to go do in order to feel good can be left aside for a while so that we could just actually feel good. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's almost like a big switch inside. Are we going to continue hassling ourselves and giving ourselves assignments, setting goals, competing are we going to change that around into uh, from competing into cooperation? From not liking into liking? From yeah. uh, not accepting ourselves until we get the job done to accepting ourselves up front, whether the job is done or not. Now, I think that a lot of this has to do with the um, way that we look at Buddhism is uh, a lot of people think of it, in fact, in, in, as the law of karma. You've probably heard enough of it to know in the sense that if you do a good thing, you'll get a good result. But if you would do a bad thing, you'll get a bad result. Yeah. So we go around trying to do good things, not very particularly feeling good about it, but we go around doing good things, hoping that we're going to get a good result. And we go around somewhere between a very, very tiny little bit of fear into being terrified of doing the wrong thing for fear of repercussions. Well, a mommy like the Buddha is not going to punish and slap around or give a spanking to an infant because it pooped in his diapers. Yeah. Right? That what we want to do is to care for and nurture that infant. This is the way of the Buddha. And that I see many things in the Sangha that shows that. One of them is with the Paddy Moore. There is rehabilitation built into the wrong behavior of a monk. If a monk misbehaves, he needs to confess it with the idea of being rehabilitated from that wrongdoing as opposed to punishment. Now, they talk about this in the sense of prisons. The whole point of a prison is to make sure that the government is going around doing religion's job of making sure that you do get, in fact, bad results from your bad behavior. But the Buddha, if the Buddha ran the prisons, it wouldn't be a prison, it would be a rehabilitation center. Yeah. For us to rehabilitate so that we can uh, feel good right from the very beginning, right in the middle of it all, and right through the end. In fact, this is something that is stated many places in the suttas, including the Dhammapada, it's in sutta number 38, it's just in dozens of places, to where the teachings of the Buddha 
are good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. But many people who practice the teachings of the Buddha do so wrongly so that they wind up striving for some result in meditation, giving themselves a hard time because they're not meditating often enough, disappointed with the results of meditation because they don't go deep enough. Yeah. And this is all what is going on with the, uh, the fact that it's the, it's the mind state that hasn't made that switch yet. And the yeah. switch is basically from the, from the position of, um, you see, this whole idea of criticism and critical is future-oriented. Sit down and do your homework, not because I need your homework right now. It's because your homework is going to get you ready for next year's homework. <laughs> and next year's homework is going to get you ready for more homework after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, And it's all future-oriented, just like the whole idea of the law of karma is future-oriented in the sense that if you do good, you will eventually get your results. If you take that job and you go to work and you do the work, eventually you'll get paid. Is that guaranteed? No. I know plenty no? of people that didn't get paid for work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so. In fact, the guy who wanted the work done, he does not want to pay, and he'll do anything he can to get out of it. Yeah. So, that whole idea of that promise of future reward has been a giant lie that humanity has bought hook, line, and sinker, so that everyone in the culture believes that. Yeah. The, the other one on that same side is, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, guess what? The tender infant doesn't have to work to get fed. The monks don't work to get fed. As far as I know, all the politicians don't ever do any work. <laughs> they get free meals. <laughs> <laughs> they get free meals, exactly. So that old adage of, if you don't work, you don't eat, is actually not true. It may be true in some limited circumstances only because of the mindset of the people who hold it. But it's not a reality. So, what we're really talking about then is, is that noticing that over one's life we start off in beautiful nurturing and that that somehow has been switched into criticism. Eric Byrne, the famous psychologist, talks about this in, with his ego states, talking about the critical parent ego state versus the nurturing parent ego state. The nurturing parent ego state is all gushy and everything is okay and we can take a deep breath and never mind, just relax. But it is the learned behavior that's not natural but it's rotely learned, pick up your toys, clean up your room, lift that barge, tote that bale. If you don't do that work, you're going to land in jail. That's out of a song, by the way. 
<laughs> Old Man River is in a, a, a showboat, 1950s. But that's the whole idea of it is, is that you've got to go work for the man. And by doing so, you're supposed to get a reward, but all you wind up doing is just feeling bad and emotional for the rest of our lives. And the whole society is like that. Joy is very rare. Yeah. But joy is our natural state. So basically what we're talking about is learning how to get back to our natural state, our natural state of nurturing. And so this is what I would offer you, is for you to start practicing sati to remember to lay off yourself. And to make friends. Even to make friends with that which we would normally, under any circumstance, want to get rid of, like anxiety. When we have anxiety, there's two things going on. One is, is that there is the anxiety, which is based on fear. And that fear is of some undone task that our oughts and shoulds and our set of rules say that we ought to do, the critical parent. And so then we feel bad and we don't know what it is and we get anxious and whatnot. But the second thing is the real stinger. And that is, is that we don't like being in a state of anxiety. Yeah. And so we will do things to try to get out of that state of anxiety, but we don't quite know what to do. In fact, the story that I have is, is that there's a little old man staying in a hovel many, many thousands years ago, and he's laying in bed with anxiety, and he recognized the anxiety, and his idea is, oh, if I go and fix the fence, then I'll feel better. So he goes out in the night and he starts putting stones up because he knows if he puts the stones up and gets the other thing right, then the wolves won't be able to jump the fence and neither will the goats getting out. After he works a couple of hours on that fence and get it all repaired, he goes back down and lays in his hut and guess what? Exactly. comes back. At best, the only thing that was going on is the anxiety was there all along, but while he was building the fence, he didn't have to think about it. Yeah. But the point is, is that he didn't like that anxiety. And so with Anapanasati practice, we're instead of going, and, 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 you should not feel anxious. You, you don't like this, this anxiousness, and you've got to go do something to get out of it. Another way of doing it is to nurture that anxiety in the ways of, oh, everything's okay. Settle down. No problems. Yeah. And then we can start looking at the fact that most anxiety is a feeling, a physical feeling that's associated with the body because there's a whole lot of body chemicals going on during anxiety mostly cortisone and adrenaline and that kind of stuff, rather than the cortisone and the um, dopamine and the serotonin that we're looking for. Yeah. Okay. So when that anxiety is there and that uh, adrenaline is there, 
instead of wanting to get rid of it, because wanting to get rid of it is just going to make it worse, because you don't like it. A way of dealing with it better is to uh, nurture ourselves and make friends with the anxiety. Now, that's the hard part that people think, how can I make friends with the anxiety? Well, get to know it. Take a few deep breaths and, and see if you can move it around. See if it will change. See if you can uh, uh, make some effect on it. Instead of hating it and running away from it, let's meet it full on with a happy grin and say, I can take care of this. Yeah. We can do this. And so this is a way that you can start to practice if you remember I think you've heard me say before that sati is the most important skill to be developed. Why yeah. is that? Because if you don't remember to nurture yourself, you won't. You'll go back and you'll be hard on yourself instead. And so one of the things you need to do for being hard on yourself all of those times and all those years, because you picked it up, you were taught that. You can also forgive yourself for being hard on yourself because you don't have to be hard on yourself. You can rehabilitate so that you don't have to be hard on yourself anymore. You can be gushy all the time. This is basically the whole teachings of the Buddha. There was a story, in fact, that uh, Ananda had uh, been with Sariputta, and Sariputta was giving him teaching. And uh, Ananda came back to the Buddha <coughs> with the statement that, oh, uh, Sariputta has said that friendship is half of the Dhamma. And the Buddha said, no, 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 no. Friendship is the whole thing. There's actually a sutta by the name of half. It's the half sutta. In the sense that the idea was from Ananda that friendship was half the Dhamma. But in fact, it's all of the Dhamma. To be friends with yourself is the first place to start. Yeah. You haven't been best friends with yourself yet. <laughs> <laughs> Getting better. You, you've been hard on yourself. Yeah. And many times we're hard on ourselves out of the hope that then other people won't be hard on us. Okay. We have an entire language built around that. Yeah. Especially the word sorry. <laughs> yeah. We say to someone when we're apologizing, I'm sorry. Why? Well, the idea, I suppose, is, is that if I'm sorry, that means I've already punished myself sufficiently enough, and so this other guy that I'm being sorry to doesn't have to beat me now. Then, in fact, in the Thai language, it's really funny. This is cute. The word for uh, apologizing in the Thai language is tut. The word tut backside and co means to do it or to hit so basically <laughs> it is in polite language it says please beat me 
<laughs> wow. And so you can see how that stuff gets built into our language that we want to harm ourselves or hurt ourselves so that then the for the punishment of it. But everything about the teachings of the Buddha goes back to the nurturing quality of friendship. That we don't punish our friends. So, if you're friends with yourself, even friends with your anxiety, then you're not going to be so um, intent on being free from the anxiety. It's, it's okay. It's, it's there. Let me take a few breaths and take a look at it and see what it is and Pretty soon it kind of says bye-bye and takes a hike. But if I try to get rid of it, it's going to stick like glue. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, practicing sati, this is one of the reasons why it's really good to sit down and actually practice this. To take a few minutes every day with the full intention of, for this time, I'm going to feel marvelous. I'm going to feel really, really good. And then the mind will wander away and we'll start wandering and, and feeling bad and all of those wandering thoughts. And we have to remember, wait a minute, I'm here to feel really good, to feel really marvelous. If I let the mind wander away, I'll go back into, uh, let us say, monkey mind or uh, junk thoughts or uh, we'll run across some work to do or some task that needs to be done or uh, some problem. And now we don't feel marvelous anymore. This is when sati comes back in. We have to remember, oh, I'm sitting here for this 10 or 15 minute or 20 minute time to feel really good. Yeah. And so this is why we want to practice is to get into a daily practice of feeling really great. Because if you learn this piece of music while you're sitting there, you can begin to play it more often throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just a new way of talking about it. We can go on into all of the technical stuff about uh, step five and six and eight of Anapanasati and all of that kind of stuff, simply because the Buddha was so expert at knowing exactly what he was talking about. But he did not have modern language or the modern things that we know now. And I think also since the time of the Buddha, there's been kind of a change in culture. An example of what I'm talking about is, is that in the feudal times, uh, the king went and got his uh, tribute or his, his uh, uh, he would send his guards and they would raid the uh, the granary and take the people's food and all of that. But other than that, at harvest time, you didn't have to deal with the king at all. But come to the industrial revolution and we start hiring for wages and paid by the hour. That's when the whole mentality changed 
and to get the work done. You got to work now. You don't. You have to worry about the king. The king's coming this afternoon. He's going to look over your shoulder and see what you're doing. Yeah. And so there's been a change in the humanity so that we have kind of two major problems. There would be a natural major problem if we continued to nurture our children. Because if we just nurtured them and let them go and do what they wanted to do. Lost your video. Uh. If we let the kids just go and do as they wanted to do, they would still wind up in a great deal of greed. I want this. I want that. I want to feel good. And uh, you wind up feeling bad because of all the work that you're trying to do to feel good. But in our culture, we've got an additional problem. And that additional problem is the critical part. The nurturing parent was there, but it's been usurped now by the critical parent. And that in a way, our modern society has, has required that. We could not have our modern society the way that we do it without this and, and a few other things. But basically, it's fear of retribution. And so we teach children that, and we lie to them or teach them magical things to get them to go according to the society. You're about to say something. Something's wrong with your uh, audio. It can barely hear you. Uh, it's very low volume and distorted. Well, never mind. Yeah, there really is something wrong with it. We'll we'll pay attention to that later. We'll just go ahead and and, and talk because uh, it's impossible to hear what you you're saying. So, uh, basically. We have this two methods now of living. One is the old nurturing way that's now been piled on with the critical. But we can also recognize that there's something else that we can take advantage of. Eric Byrne talks about three ego states. The ego state of the parent, the child, and the adult. And this actually, he's just restating what Freud figured out, which Freud called it the ego, the superego, and the id. And basically, we spend most of our time and most of our talking to ourselves in this parent ego state because we're just repeating language and concepts and things to do and to-do lists and all of that that we have stored up. That when we're actually thinking with the id or with the child ego state, that's almost always feelings. And that the feelings are either feeling good or feeling bad. And normally if the parent is critical, then the child ego state is going to be in the state of feelings bad. 
But there's this third ego state, the adult ego state, which is the frontal cortex. That's the best part of the human mind. That's the part that thinks by making connections. It thinks by looking at how things are going. It thinks in the sense of trajectory rather than uh, uh, formal language. An example of that is, is that when hunters go hunting together, one of the things that they have as uh, a job to do is everybody is looking at where the guns are pointed. Why? Because if the gun is pointed at me and it goes off, I'll get shot. Therefore, I want to make sure that when this guy is talking to me and he's waving his shotgun, he's got it under his arm and he's waving it back and forth while he's talking. Hey, man, don't wave that shotgun pointing at anybody. All right. This is actually wisdom. This is what this is a way of looking at it. So if you recognize that things get pointed and can go off. And if they're pointed in a benign direction when they go off, it's not going to hurt anything. But if things are pointed in the wrong direction, then it can cause trouble. This is what we will call wisdom, is looking and look at how things are going. Look at which things are, where things are headed. And that we can do this with this parent ego state. In other words, we wake up with sati, which means to bring this adult ego state into, uh, into play so that we can begin to guard the mind or to guard this parent ego state to make sure that it's talking in good, wholesome language as opposed to critical language. We want to start talking to ourselves in nurturing terms, in happy terms, in friendly terms rather than uh, being hard on ourselves. And so we're going to bring that part of the mind in, and the part of the mind then is, is that we're going with the adult, help the parent ego state to nurture the child within. And you need to do that a lot. You need to get into that habit of nurturing yourself. And so I would recommend doing it two or three times a day. Take 10 minutes. In fact, uh, figure out if you've got a schedule. If you don't have a schedule, then you don't have to do it two or three times a day. You can do it every time you think of it. But if you're on some sort of schedule, a work schedule or a detail or anything like that, you can find three times a day where you can spend 10 minutes doing nothing else but giving yourself a break, relaxing, feeling good, telling yourself how marvelous you are, saying everything is hunky-dory. You can say things like, my, how, how life is so adorable. Everything is going my way. And that those kinds of thoughts then will start generating these brain chemicals of oxycodone and uh, serotonin, dopamine. You've heard about all of these uh, chemicals. Or the other way of doing it is being uptight, being hard on ourselves, going after the adrenaline and the cortisol. 
which by the way are much more in the body. So the um, uh, the mind chemicals like oxycodone generally gives us the feeling of well-being. But that feeling of well-being is actually there because of the lack of cortisone and adrenaline. And so without that stuff in there pumping us up, our natural state is to be relaxed. And so that's another component that we want to be uh, remember, to be joyful, to be easygoing on ourselves, to take a deep breath, and to relax, and to come into a state of satisfaction. Wow, everything is hunky-dory. Everything is good. And if you keep doing that over and over and over again, day after day after day after day, something else is going to happen, and that is self-confidence is going to grow. The confidence of, I can do this. I can feel good when I want to. I do not have to feel bad because this, that, and the other thing happens. I can feel good. I've got the power. The power to feel good when everybody else around is feeling bad. So this is one of the reasons to keep practicing this. A lot of people say, oh, well, all I now have to do is just think about it from time to time and I'm good to go. Oh, no, we want to develop this as if we're developing a recital piece for performance. Practice, practice, practice. Practice feeling good. This is the reason that people want to meditate, but they're they do it, but they don't have the understanding that they've got to turn off this critical parent. They've got to stop being critical of themselves and just enjoy. And so if you've ever done meditation before, you can probably recognize, yeah, but you weren't getting much out of it, and so you didn't do it. But if you start getting a whole lot out of it because you really like feeling this good, then you can remember to practice it. And then you can start to develop a real practice. Practice of feeling marvelous. Okay, great. Well, I would recommend three times a day, 10 or 15 minutes. Do that for a few days and call me back. Okay? I'm sure that we can get this done. I'm glad to see you again. All righty. We'll see you soon.